Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike, and joining me as always, it's Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you? Greetings and salutations, barbecue lovers. I'm doing pretty good, Mike. How the hell are you? Doing great. Uh, another start to the work week. And you know, it's funny. We we kind of knew we were going to do this movie ahead of time just because, you know, when it released and all. But I did not realize that there was actually a theatrical movie that released this week. Um, that mm-hmm. werewolf movie. I, I didn't know. It, it didn't seem like it got much advertisement or anything. Um, Almost as little as uh, our movie this week. <laughs> yeah. So that'll put us in... I guess a choice you made for next week, but we can get to that at the end of this episode and then probably off off episode at a later time. But uh, also joining us, it's Donna Nelly. What's up, Donna? How are you? Yeah, doing good. Always great to be here. All right. Well, uh, we stuck with the movie we said we were going to do at the last episode or at the end of the last episode. And that is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I guess they just dropped the the off of it. And this is kind of in the vein of the, you know, the requel uh, trend where they're retconning the franchise to make a direct sequel to the original. So that's what this is. And uh, I guess the only other thing to do is synopsis of IMDb. After nearly 50 years of hiding, Leatherface returns to terrorize a group of idealistic young friends who accidentally disrupt his carefully shielded world in a remote texas town all right so we will open up with some general thoughts on this one so i will kick it to venom what are your thoughts on texas chainsaw massacre 2022 all right folks well hold on to your hats and uh get ready because i think i might be shopping shocking the horror community Uh, I unapologetically enjoyed this film. I had a very, very good time with it. Now, I'm going to have a lot of uh, defense for that. And the first caveat I'm going to say is I'm not saying it's a good movie. Um, Objectively, you could say it's a bad film. Uh, I'm sure many people will. And I have seen that many, many people have. And that's fine. But when I go into a movie like this, this is now, what, the eighth or ninth chapter in this franchise that has, you know, seen way better days. I'm going into this with some of the lowest expectations possible. And you know what, folks? This movie came through for me. This movie has some of the best kills I've seen this year. It has a nice little story. The story doesn't get too big for its britches, even though this is a direct sequel to one of the biggest horror films ever. Um, They don't. Kind of uh, the the grandiose of it all is not there, which I kind of expected it to be. I, you know, I figured it was going to be a major cash grab. And and look, it kind of does feel like a cash grab at times. But ultimately, since I went in with such low expectations, I honestly I, I see a lot of the issues that people have with this movie. But I guess I'm just being a little bit more forgiving of them. And I think the main reason I am is because this movie went for it. Whether you like this film or not, and I respect arguments from either side of the fence, you have to admit this movie went for it. It went for some way more brutal kills than we would expect to see in Netflix. It went for an ending that was an absolute gut punch, depending on if you cared about certain characters in the film. 
regardless, the, the, the ending is mildly shocking as it does come out of nowhere. And I applaud this movie for it because the third act in this movie is an absolute mess. And I, and I could admit this, this third act is just, it's a dumpster fire. Uh, the story advances way too fast. Um, too many way convenient plot points. The absolute waste of a return of a classic legacy character of this franchise. The only legacy character left besides the leather-faced man himself. And we get what is one of the worst possible usages of uh, a legacy character I've ever seen. Just an absolute waste. It's almost disrespectful. I'm going to say it's borderline disrespectful what they do to this character in this film, but we'll get to that in the spoiler section. Um, none of the characters frustrated me. I fully anticipated after, as you guys know, I don't watch trailers. I went into this with no expectations, but I did hear people talk about the wokeness of it all and how one of the characters actually uses the word canceled in the trailer. So I was fully expecting to absolutely hate this film, but as the movie went through the first act, I'm not hating any of the characters on either side of the fence. I'm not hating the villain. Like his motivation is moderately valid. Not to say that it justifies mass murder by by any stretch, but I think most normal people can see why he goes on this rampage. It's a fairly obvious reason. It's fairly cut and dry. The characters are not frustrating or annoying to me. I know a lot of people are going to talk about the quote unquote wokeness of them all. And just like with the Candyman remake of last year, I didn't feel like they were throwing the wokeness in my face. Yes, there's a scene where there's a conversation about a Confederate flag, um, you know, which can get a little painful and too woke for some, uh, though it doesn't last very long. And I thought the culmination of it was actually great. Um, as we delve into the second act and the kills start coming in, I'm, I'm on board with the kills. I'm on board with... Um, even before we get to the kills, the locals have already kind of won me over. Uh, the first guy at the convenience store that we meet is not a complete douchebag to the quote unquote smart city folk that come into town. You know, he tries to actually treat them civilly. Yeah. He makes a comment under his breath after they leave the store, but Hey, as Americans, we all fucking do that. So let's not deny that. Uh, the local police are not assholes they are not uh, arlie emery by any stretch and mind you i'm not talking about arlie emery's uh, performance in any way shape or form he's probably the highlight of that iteration of texas chainsaw massacre but what i'm saying is that we don't get these you know borderline racist um xenophobic type cops they're actually once again they're very civil um, so what I'm saying is, is that as the movie's going along, there's nothing that's frustrating me and taking me out of the film, which is why I end up really enjoying the first two acts. Now, like I said, once we get to a certain scene on a bus, which I guess has been a very contentious scene throughout the community, the movie does lose its way. And like I said, that third act is an absolute mess, which we'll get into, uh, during our spoiler, uh, discussion, but uh, just to cut my general thoughts off here, I'm going to say that much like the Slumber Party Massacre remake and much like the Wrong Turn remake, I went in with such low expectations that I ended up really enjoying my time with the film. I did watch it a second time. I watched it uh, uh, today for the second time. 
And the problems with it are much more glaring on that second watch, I fully admit. I mean, almost to the point where you're kind of pulling your hair out. So I understand the hate for the film. All I'm saying is that overall, uh, this movie kind of definitely exceeded what I was expecting to get out of the eighth or ninth chapter of a horror franchise. I mean, come on, folks. We're not going to get Texas Chainsaw 74. It will never happen again. That movie is a moment in time. It is an absolute perfect moment in time that if anybody tries to reproduce, they will fail miserably. Toby Hooper and his friends weren't trying to create a cinematic classic that summer in Texas. They were just trying to make a movie you know, that he wanted to get out a story that he had in his head for a while and blah, 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 blah. Uh, and it turned into a classic. That's how horror classics are made. If you're going in there trying to make a sequel that deserves the title of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you're going to fail. You're almost always going to fail. So just realize, folks, that if you watch this film, and I, and I solidly believe uh, this next opinion, if you watch this movie and you think that this is one of the worst pieces of turds you've ever watched in your life and that it's going to end up being one of your least favorite horror films of the year, my question to you is, what the fuck did you expect? Did you actually think that you were going to get Texas Chainsaw 74 Part 2? Honestly, because I want to have a conversation with those people because uh, their expectations are just way out of line, folks. So uh, I'm going to leave it at that. I enjoyed this movie. I unapologetically enjoyed this movie. And I will watch it again. Go figure. Now, it's not going to be in my top 10 at the end of the year by any stretch of the imagination. I enjoy being the voice of dissension. So I assure you, folks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be on this episode with a full smile on my face, knowing that the horror community hates this film. But for whatever it's worth, I was able to pull some entertainment out of it. So that's it for me for now. <clears throat> All right, uh, Don, what did you think of the movie? All right, well, um, I was kind of expecting to be the uh, lone voice of liking this movie, but um, apparently I'm just a couple notches below Venom, it seems. But, uh, yeah, um, I, I'm on board with him. Uh, I, I had far more fun with this than I actually anticipated. Um, granted, all of that is uh, centered around the gore and kills in here because... Damn, some of this shit is impressive. Um, I mean, um, uh, where do I start? Uh, I mean, the scene in the uh, attic where he uh, where he uses the hammer on the one dude. Oh god, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I was not expecting that, and I had a fantastic ear to hear grin on my face, and that won me over really, really quickly. Uh, same as the bus massacre. Um, I was expecting a sequence like that in the original. Um, and we never got it, but, uh, I am so glad we finally did because I have wanted to see something like that happen ever since the franchise, ever since I discovered the franchise and, uh, it gave it to me in spades. So I am, I, I'm going to say that this is, uh, probably the most shocking thing on this podcast. That is the best sequence in the entire franchise. And I, cannot I, I will not listen to reason I think that is the best <laughs> that is the best sequence in anything really remotely related to a Texas Chainsaw Massacre film it has usurped the opening uh, bridge chase from part two as my favorite so that will be my that will be the uh, hot take of the t hot take in anything here I think that's better than the dinner scene in the original 
I think that's better than anything that's transpired and anything that's taken place in any of the other films. Uh, that is my favorite thing, favorite scene in anything related to the Texas Chainsaw franchise. <laughs> now, that said, as much as my right brain wants to have fun with all the gore and the kills and it admittedly fast paced here. Cause I mean, I knew that they said this thing was short, but I, I never expected it to be as short as it is. Yeah. Um, as much as my right brain wants to love the film for everything that I just said, my left brain is telling me everything that's going wrong with this film in regards to all of the plot holes and uh, absolutely atrocious writing that this thing tries to pass off as a storyline I, I, I get it. Um, I, I, I recognize that, you know, a lot of what my left brain is telling me is making sense. And that's unfortunately a problem that I have with a lot of what he tells me. A lot of what he says is make, doesn't make sense. And uh, Venom brought up two of them. He brought up the third act, which, uh, dear God, how many fucking <laughs> rewrites did that thing go through to keep those girls alive? Um, <laughs> I, I mean, how many... How many different uh, motivation? How many different uh, cooks in the kitchen came up with uh, the nonsense mm. to keep that thing going? Ugh. I mean, yeah, I know we're going to get into that one, but I mean, oh dear, dear God. And then uh, the other one that you mentioned is um, Sally Hardesty is in this for what reason? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. Um, there's absolutely no reason for that to be her. Um, that could have been any, that could have been anybody and I wouldn't have mind, minded at all, but uh, that was supposed to have been Sally Hardesty. The, I, I'm not going to say she's the first because I don't know when this or black Christmas came out and I'm not entirely sure if her and Jess are kind of neck and neck in terms of who came first, but uh, she deserved this. Really? Mm. Uh um, and then, yeah, um, a lot of the other motivations here don't make sense. Um, I don't understand what coming to this uh, podunk town is supposed to do. Um, I'm not entirely sure a lot of uh, what goes on in here makes sense. But, um, yeah, uh, I'll, a lot of the writing in here leaves uh, much to be desired. So I'm not really going to touch on that. But uh, the main thing that came to me and... Um, if you saw my post on my page, which I, I don't do often, but um, it was something that came to mind, and I, I mentioned it just to make sure that I would remember it specifically for this podcast. And I, I think you guys, of all people, are going to get what I'm coming from here when I make this analogy. And it's either going to be the dumbest thing I've ever said on a show, or it's going to be the smartest thing. And because it's you guys, I'm thinking you guys are going to be—you guys are going to get where I'm coming from more than anybody else. So. If you followed me on the week over the weekend, I made a post that said the original Texas Chainsaw is for all tid, and the new Texas Chainsaw is abracadabra. So what that means is both of those albums are both of those are albums that are released from the Norwegian symphonic black metal band Demu Borgir. Now neither of those are what I would consider classic albums in any sense, but uh, if you follow me and I'll make the I'll make this analogy as quick and painless as possible. For All Tid was their debut album. It came out in the early nineties at the height of the black metal movement in Norway. It's raw, it's rough, it's violent, and it 
definitely has a lot of uh, flaws in what transpires. But the heart is there. You have a sense of where they're going. You get an idea of what their sound is, you know, their hunger, their their passion and their energy. It bleeds through and you can definitely get a sense of why they went on to have the career that they did. Storm, uh, not Stormblad, Abrahadabra is an album released in 2010. It has absolutely nothing to do with Storm, with For All Tid. And it basically is just an overblown piece of symphonic metal garbage with every bell and whistle that you can possibly imagine thrown at it. It is slick, glossy, commercialized nonsense that, okay, yeah, there's some okay tracks. I mean, I'm not going to say that there's bangers that need to be on their best of album, but if I pulled a couple of tracks off of there for a you know, playlist or something, I, I wouldn't be too concerned. But listening to it as a whole, you get the sense that it's slick and glossy and absolutely stuffed with commercial with commercialization. Now, I made the analogy because the original Texas Chainsaw, or For All Tid, was rough and violent and absolutely unpolished in any sense, but it works to its advantage because the heart, the energy, the passion bleeds through. And the new one, or in this case, Abracadabra and the new remake, are slick and glossy and given every single bell and whistle that you can possibly imagine. There's got to be a connecting through point between point A and point B. If you gave me For All Tid and then Abracadabra back to back, the progression doesn't make any sense because they're completely different and what works for one is completely abandoned by the other. And that's what takes place here. The first one was rough and in your face and it had a very raw edge to it. But that's why it worked. This one throws everything at this kitchen sink at you, and it just doesn't feel like it fits in the same universe. And I think that's why the, everybody's up at arms about it. <laughs> on, the sur- on the surface, I don't, I don't see it as a bad thing, but you're connecting commercialized, slick, overly, overly produced modern fare against a rough and raw and you know, very primitive and unpolished original. And I I don't think that they necessarily mesh well together. And I think that's where the community is at arms about, because I don't think that sending the original up against this one makes any sense. And I think that's something you alluded to earlier, Venom, with your expectation mm-hmm. thing. I think this is, for some reason, I had this idea and analogy in my head, and I, I, I don't know why I went with this, but... Like I said, it's either the dumbest thing I've ever said or it's the smartest thing. So, <laughs> Well, Donald Anelli, you son of a bitch, you are 100% correct. I even have in my notes, and I'll read it to you word for word, this movie is all icing and no cake. But sometimes a lot of icing is okay. Uh, and like I said, because of my lowered expectations for this film, I didn't expect to get a lot of cake. I honestly didn't. I also didn't expect to get a lot of icing either. I I expected to get like a really shitty cupcake, but I ended up getting a lot of icing on a little bit of cake. And you know what? Uh, It's still more than I expected, which is why I'm going to come in so, you know, positive on this one. But yeah, Don, Jesus, 
your analogy is perfect because it's true without the connective tissue with, you know, with a fan who didn't in, encounter those middle albums of that particular band or really any band, any band that's had a 20 plus year career. If you listen to their first album and then you listen to the new one, they sound like two completely different bands. They don't sound like they have anything in common whatsoever. And that's because you weren't there for all the connective tissue. Uh, same thing with this. If you weren't here for all of the, I guess we can call them retconned sequels now, this movie feels like it has absolutely nothing in common with its predecessor, with the original. And that's just 100% correct, which is why I always say expectations are the worst things we can do to ourselves as movie viewers. It's, it literally is the worst thing you can possibly do is to go into a movie with undue expectations, either too high or too low. Cause look, I'll fully admit I went in with this with such low expectations that I ended up really enjoying it, which is probably, you know, going to surprise a lot of people. And that's fine. Um, maybe if I'd have gone in with higher expectations, I would hate it. And I would be calling it the dumpster fire that the rest of the internet is calling it. But ultimately, that's not that wasn't my journey with this film. My journey with this film started in the gutter and had nowhere but up to go. And from the first kill in the film all the way through, you know, up until the craziness of that third act, I'm absolutely just enjoying every second of what I'm seeing. Yes, I got to look through some shitty characters. Yes, I got to kind of power through some pretty weak writing. But like I said, if you're a little bit forgiving of stuff like that, um, I, I think getting a lot of icing is no cake than getting you know a turd sandwich. So, which is what a lot of people are calling this movie, and I just don't agree with it. So, there you go. Uh, now it's Mike's turn to Mike's turn to tell me that I'm wrong. So let's go. Yeah, um, I, I finished with mine. I mean, I was done anyway. But uh, yeah, on to you, Mike. Yeah, I went in with low expectations and it delivered every bit as low expectations as I had. <laughs> this movie sucked. I don't understand what's so good about it. The kills, uh, there was a couple good kills in it. Big fucking deal. Many movies have uh, good kills. Uh, this movie feels much more like the other shitty sequels where it's now a Leatherface franchise, not a Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise i've never really been that big of a fan of just leatherface on his own running around doing shit not he's not interesting to me that character is not interesting i think he was best served as one part of a crazy family kind of like the big dumb oath of the family um i don't like this trend where every fucking slasher sequel requel whatever the fuck has to be jason Voorhees now uh, we'll get into that later with some of the shit that happens in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, the story's fucking ridiculous. Again, I didn't... Ex Here's the thing. I didn't expect much. I didn't go into this thinking it was going to be good. I just didn't... Well, I didn't think anything, really. I just thought, oh, another resurrection of a franchise that hasn't had a good move. Well, I guess that's subjective, too. To me, hasn't had a really good entry... Well, I don't even really like this franchise, to be honest. I like the first two movies, and then I can do without all the rest of them. Uh, the The best thing about this movie to me was, like I said, a couple kills and that it was short. And then I'd never have to watch it again. So, um, no, it's not the biggest piece of shit I've ever seen. I mean, that's just – I've seen too many movies to make that claim. So I won't go hyperbolic 
to that level. Um, I'm trying to think about, about this year, though. It might be the worst thing I've seen this year. Granted, I haven't scouted out and watched a ton of stuff so far. Uh, Definitely not the say? worst of the year for me. I'm looking at my list right now, and there's at least two that I would say are lower for me. Um, Objective. You know, I'm not. Yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm actually going to say this. I think I like this more than the Scream film. So I think I have Scream lows. <laughs> I, I, I think they're close enough that I would have to double check, but I, I think that they're right around each other. Whereas this one was such an uh, was such a pleasant surprise, and Scream was such an underwhelming was such a, was so underwhelming that I think they kind of balanced each other out to the point where they're almost equal. I I, I can't say for sure, but um, I would definitely have to check my notes to be positive that. But I think that they're probably right around the same rating. So here's the biggest difference for me. I mean, anyone who listened to the Scream episode knows my thoughts on that movie. I I wasn't like the biggest fan of it. I thought it was a decent uh, sequel. But here's the biggest difference. At least we got a Scream movie. With this, it's it's just a bullshit. Like, I don't know. It just feels uninspired, modern Mm -hmm. bullshit take on something that was once good. And it's to me, it's just fucking boring. Uh, I, I just don't care about the story. It's nonsensical. Uh, and yes, I mean, I would like to, I would like to see someone do something good with the franchise, something interesting. If you're gonna keep dredging this shit up, do something. I don't need different. I need good. And we're, we're not getting it with these never-ending franchise entries. Um, there's, you know, there's reasons why, you know, I like the originals and entries are originals and sometimes you know early on sequels so much and yes it should be like i i fully do or understand that the more entries we get the further away we're going to get from it but that's why i don't like it in the like that's why i don't like it because this feels nothing resembling it and if you and i'm tired of this requel concept like you're going out of your way to say oh it's a direct sequel to the original but if Feels nothing like like so. Stop fucking doing it. I don't need you to make a requel, and you know drum this shit up about well, it's direct from the original. No, it it doesn't feel like that to me. It just feels like you're tagging that on it. Like what other other than a returning character from the original? Why was there any reason to even make this a requel? For what purpose? It still takes place now. So I who cares? I don't care that it takes place fifty years later and. I guess it's not a secret that yeah, we already mentioned that it's Sally. So um and we'll get into that fucking uninspired character return, which uh, I mean I I don't even know. I mean at at worst or at I guess at best I was hoping, okay, some unlikable characters that uh all enjoy seeing murdered, but I was too bored to even care about that. Um, for people that are saying it's woke, I, I felt it was the opposite. I felt they tried they tried to be well, I guess the very beginning with our main set of characters, they had like a one throwaway conversation that mm-hmm. was so lazy and uninspired. Who could even care about that? And then they try to turn it around and do like the haha, let's make fun of the woke after, which was just as fucking stupid too. So I think they tried to do both and both failed and both were boring and uninspired and lazy. And uh, that about sums up the entire movie for me. Boring, uninspired, lazy, and 
fucking two good kills in my mind don't save a movie from being horrible and that's what this movie was to me and uh yeah will it be on a worst of list probably not because we do watch a ton of shit (laughs) so to say you know and we're in what somewhere in february now it's way too early to even make any grandiose claims like that but yeah i i did not like it at all don't understand what what people like about this um and yeah, I I'm sorry. I am gonna feel insulted when they keep making these franchise movies that just like are so far removed from the original. Especially when it's like directors and writers that should be able to give us something better. Like this isn't some random Yahoo making this movie. You know, it, uh, is Fetty he? Alvarez. I've heard of him? Fetty Alvarez. Fetty Alvarez no. wrote and produced it. He did not direct. Well, he wrote yeah. it, and he—I mean, this well, is... he wrote it with three other people too. He's—he's he's only one of four in on the writing credits, and one of five on the producer credits. Well, if I was him, I'd remove my fucking name from it. Well, so. that's that's your that's your opinion, obviously. Um, I mean, you know, uh, I, I can get into a lot of reasons why I did like this movie. If you're done with general thoughts that I haven't already gone over. Um. Well, I mean, I know some of this. Man, it I sounds guess, like this movie like, just offended you. Like you, you, you legitimately sound offended. Like screaming. I'm not offended. I'm sound just, like this wrong. I'm not, offen- you, <laughs> you, I'm not offended. I'm just bored, and I don't know why. I don't know why such mediocrity is like. I, it's I don't know. I mean, I know like it's weird because I know like if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, like I'm like it. It seems like overall, lots of people hate it, but I maybe it's just the horror community like the people that are on my social media it seemed like it was pretty split to me there was lots of people saying eight nine out of ten oh wow. uh, i'm just like what <laughs> like even if you i like i i understand some people are gonna like it that's sure everyone's entitled but in eight nine out of ten like what okay good i, I mean i'm glad for everyone that that liked it that much i mean i I guess I do, I guess I'm the balance to that, right? Um, <laughs> well, you're not the voice of dissension. I mean, ultimately, you you're you're what the community in general is saying. I mean, you're you're basically the the, the voice of the masses more than anything right now. So I, I, mean, I guess you, you've I guess, got all okay, the defense you need. I guess you know? to, to some of my general thoughts, it just I guess it frustrates me that we keep getting resurrections of other than scream because at least scream felt like a scream movie it felt like everything but you say that like it's a good thing like well no it's not whether it's a good thing or a bad thing but it felt but the scream movie this movie you could have taken leatherface out of this and put any fucking generic slasher in it it would be the same movie scream at least felt like it had the dna of a scream movie whether it's good or bad like i i'm not you know moving obviously you know we we did our episode on scream so everyone knows how i feel i'm not trying to say i really really liked scream the scream sequel i'm just saying it felt like the people making it at least had made effort to be like like well this is what wes craven did with scream so we're going to try to make another one with this one it was just a generic slasher with leatherface dropped in it and i understand that doesn't necessarily make it a bad thing but i'm just like man like i don't i don't know this is just like something 
it didn't even need to be a Texas Chainsaw movie, really. I, I 100% agree with you on that. Uh, after watching it the first time, I even said, if they, you know, just made this an original killer and just called it the Skinner or something stupid like that, that I think a lot of people would have been a lot more positive on this. But once you slap the title Texas Chainsaw Massacre on this movie, you're basically already dooming it. I mean, you're just not going to be able to make the masses happy. You know, how often do we actually get a Dr. Sleep, you know, a, a, a sequel to a long um, running, se- well, maybe not series, but at least, a, a, you know, a, a sequel long overdue that actually satisfies most of the people that, you know, go to see it. And admittedly, Michael Flanagan wasn't trying to make The Shining 2. He was trying to make Dr. Sleep, an original movie. Yes, obviously, it's still going to have the the trappings of The Shining in there. It is still the same. It's a sequel, for God's sake. So, of course, but ultimately, he had... I mean, mm-hmm. a book to work off of. Right, right. Look. He had great source material. Obviously, with something like this, you have to kind of write your own original stories, you know, unless you're going to, like, borrow from the graphic novels or whatever. But, you know, none of those were ever really that great to be able to make a film treatment out of. So, ultimately, you know, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I genuinely appreciate originality. I do. But I would rather see be there, been there, done that, done well than originality done poorly. Um, I've said it before and I'll say it many, many, many times. And ultimately, yeah, there's nothing original about this movie. It doesn't about the only thing that reminds you uh, that it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the cinematography in the film. The way that they utilize light and shadow, the way that they utilize like the really heavy yellow lights to give it at least attempt to give it the feel of 74. As I said earlier, you're never, ever in a million years going to be able to reproduce that. But this movie, more than any of the other sequels, at least attempted it more than any other, as far as, like I said, the technical aspects of it. We haven't talked about the score yet. I'm sure Mike was so disgusted with the movie that he probably didn't even notice the score. I love this score. And when I did some research to see who did the score, it makes 100 percent sense. Uh, Our score was done by Colin Stetson who has literally scored two of my favorite um, horror movie scores of the last 10 years in Hereditary and The Color Out of Space. So when the movie was over, I was like, okay, that makes sense because this score was atmospheric. It, you know, it helped with the tension and the tone of the film. It wasn't in your face. It wasn't constantly reminding you that you were watching a horror film. So kudos there. I know that's something that a lot of people aren't going to bring up. Uh, because of their hate for basically what they're looking at on screen. But yeah, um, from a technical standpoint, I think this movie's gorgeous. I think it looks amazing. The shot of Sally getting into her truck when we first see her, when she's first introduced and she drives off, that shot literally could have been plucked out of the 78, uh, the 74 film. It looked so pretty, so yellow. They matched the tone almost perfectly. So like I said, I want to, you know, whether successful or not, and that's going to be subjective, that's going to be up to the viewer, I appreciate the fact that these filmmakers at least tried to make it feel uh, through its visuals like 74. And, you know, like I said, if they if, if they succeeded or not, that's totally up to you. In my opinion, uh, they succeeded more than they failed. Um, you know, like I said, you're never going to reproduce that feel, so... I'm not saying don't bother, you know, you're never going to do it. So why try? Uh, I don't believe in that mentality. I say, if you think you can give it a shot. And these filmmakers did. And even though this movie is going to go down as a very hated movie in our community, I think they did a lot of things right here. Um, 
mainly in its technical aspects, um, not so much in its storytelling, um, but definitely in its gore, which I know, you know, Mike has already said gore is not going to save this movie for him. Ultimately, it was one of the first things that got me to actually pay attention to this movie because that first kill just comes out of nowhere. And it is nice and bloody and juicy and bony, which, you know, we all like, uh, you know. And then what follows is pretty horrific as well, even though we maybe don't see as much as we'd like. Well, you know, we do actually get to see Leatherface, you know, partake in one of his favorite pastimes. We'll talk about that later. Um, like I said, just overall for me, I think the movie did more things right than it did wrong. Um, ultimately, going with this story was a was a miss from the start. Going with this overly woke, you know, because basically you've got these rich city kids, really young basically right out of college, basically trying, trying to gentrify uh, an old Texas town that it's, that's been, you know, mildly refurbished by the local contractor. Doesn't and they're literally like a town. It looks like a strip of like a street. It's like a, yeah, it's like a downtown area of Harlow. I don't know if that, I mean, obviously Harlow isn't that, you know, just that little area that that would be, I guess, considered downtown Harlow. But, um, you know, the fact that they bought out most of the property in this town and are now going to auction it off to, you know, quirky little businesses that want to gentrify the area. I don't know why, since there's not really that much population there, which is, you know, just one of many plot holes that Don was talking about. Like this whole scheme of theirs just feels like a, a what's the term, a money pit. It just feels like a money pit right from the start. Like there's just no way this thing's going to succeed unless you've got a lot of independent, like billionaires pouring money into it. I, I just don't see how that's going to work, but whatever. Um, yeah, like I said, get rich quick by flipping property scheme that never works. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. It just seems like you're fucking over all those people who are buying these little shops and salons and whatnot in this town. Um, and, and like I said, the fact that they're so young, too. I mean, obviously, it's a slasher movie in 2022. Of course, you're going to have young, attractive people in the film. But to make them some kind of like real estate moguls, you know, it's a yeah, little where bit. Where are they getting this capital from? Exactly. I'd, I'd be interested. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they were driving. One of them was driving like a really nice Tesla, like one of the really nice new Teslas. So, I mean, maybe they're implying that they're rich kids, trust fund kids type things. That could be it. Yeah, I, I, I got that sense just from looking at all of the way that they were dressed. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. They looked more like uh, maybe like mid or late 20s, like social media influencers they're like trust fund kids because they would be the ones that would probably be the most apt to try something this stupid oh yeah <laughs> exactly I'll, I'll agree with that yeah so like i said that's just one of the many plot holes in this movie which really makes this story almost unwatchable at times um you, you know like i said like me and don have kind of said if it wasn't for the kills and and as far as i'm saying like the general um beauty of the filmmaking there's not really a lot of substance here but i'm not trying to say it is either i mean don't get it wrong folks i'm not trying to say this is a good movie in no stretch of the imagination am i trying to say that this is a good movie all i'm saying is that i was surprisingly entertained by the film um none of the characters rubbed me the wrong way um you know like i said whether they were good or bad or or you know perceived as bad like maybe our local contractor guy was kind of perceived to be kind of a dick at first, but ultimately he turns out to be one of the nicest guys in the whole movie. Really one of the only helpful people in the whole movie, if you will, but we'll get into that in spoilers. Um, 
like I said, none of the characters rubbed me the wrong way. None of the scenarios rubbed me the wrong way. Um, I wasn't questioning the decision-making in the film. I was questioning the decision-making made before any of these people ever got to this town. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, that's the decision-making that I'm going to question. But as far as what we actually see on film... You know, you don't see a lot of characters, you know, running into a basement and locking themselves up or, you know, doing too many, you know, stupid, you know, um, uh, game time decisions that end up going poorly for the characters. So, like I said, Sally made a pretty well, Sally. uh, Yeah, Sally is a whole other animal altogether. I mean, that which is like the one character in the movie you would expect Mm -hmm. not to do that. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Um, I mean, like I said, uh, the, the whole portrayal of Sally in this movie is borderline disrespectful. I just I feel like they took this character that we've thought about for the last 48 years and what she must have gone through mentally after surviving that night in Texas. And now to see her turn into a wannabe Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween 2018 um, to and then her inevitable, you know, which I won't get into until the spoiler section. But yeah, just her entire usage in this movie, beginning, middle, and end, is just so incredibly poorly done. You you have to ask these people, you know, about their decision making. Like if they would have brought back Cor- uh, Carolyn Williams from the second one, what was her character? Dutch, right? If they if they would have brought back Dutch, that would have made more sense than what we saw here. Sally Hardesty coming back to this town makes zero sense to me. It just it really, really doesn't. Caroline Williams coming back to this town, that makes fucking sense because she was a tough ass chick from beginning to end in that movie. A little screamy at times, but still, for the most part, she proved herself and I don't know. I just feel like Dutch would have been a better usage in this one, especially with the more, I don't want to say tongue in cheek because they never really go for comedy in this movie, but because of the use of the woke folk, as I call them, um, it does kind of leave a little bit of a tongue in cheek taste to this film. You never really take anything too seriously when you see over the top woke caricatures like the guy in the trailer who I assume everybody was bitching about who said, try something and you'll get canceled. I mean, yeah, that, that's a, just a ridiculous, you know, modern day usage that really didn't need to be in the film. But, you know, maybe the filmmakers are trying to go for a younger audience. I don't know. They used a lot of that kind of cool Internet terminology throughout the movie, like lit and, you know, stupid crap like that. So they're definitely going for a younger audience. They're definitely not trying to make us old fogies who saw this movie in the 70s happy. That's not the target market for this particular film. It is definitely a younger audience, So, which is why I'm absolutely shocked that I actually like this movie. And, and folks, let me tell you, I'm just as surprised as anybody else. I was ready to hate this movie. I was ready to shit on it, just like Mike. But for whatever reason, more and more things in the film kept happening that were endearing me to both the film and to characters in the film. So for whatever it's worth, I, I did, they didn't really lose me until the third act. But then that ending won me back. Uh, that literal last shot of the film 100% won me back. I literally applauded in my living room. I don't care how corny that sounds. I fucking applauded in my living room by myself at that ending at just how absolutely mwah, satisfying it was for me. If not for anyone else, oh, well, I'm sorry. But at least for me, that was one of the most satisfying endings of the year thus far for me. So um, I don't think I have too much more to say that doesn't involve spoilers. I don't know about you guys. Um, I'll say that ending, uh, if you're we're, we're pretty much talking about like the last scene. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really have a problem with that. It's kind of 
how well, how we got there. Like, yeah, it, it doesn't make sense to me how that was even able to happen because of something that, you know, a couple things that happened right before it, which mm-hmm. I think I'll try to address or question because oh, yeah. I'm like, well, wait a minute. That kind of changes the character itself. But I'll worry about that in spoilers. Yeah. Oh, definitely. This movie has story storytelling problems from beginning to end. It is easily one of the weakest parts of this film is its story. And anybody who shits on the story of this film, I'm not going to argue with those people. You know, I'm not going to say that they're wrong. Even though I was able to pull aspects out of this story, like I said, legitimate sympathy for Leatherface, um, at least for a few minutes anyway, not for the majority of the film, of course. But, you know, at first, when the unfortunate situation occurs, you know, you feel bad for him. I think you'd feel bad for anybody in that situation. But then, of course, he snaps and <laughs> literally, if not figuratively, snaps and uh, goes on well, his I, rampage. My my problem with the story, it's not like it's not it has nothing to do with it being simple or not, because I think you could have basically made the same movie if it was literally just people on a cross country trip and you know, they need to stop off for gas or something. And then, Oh look, there's a sleepy town. Let's check it out because it's like a almost ghost town. Cause I think they even referred to it as a ghost town yeah. when they got there, when they're scoping it out. My problem is like the story they try to tell is so just flimsy and basic sound. Like it, it's just like, this is the best you I guess you just didn't want to do the generic cross you know, cross country traveling story. Like, I guess that was too basic for you, but then what you wrote was barely more complex than that. Like, I'm like, I I don't know. It it felt like there wasn't much effort when I'm like, well then just make it a hundred percent generic than something ridiculous. I take take generic over ridiculous. That I guess that's what I'm saying. That's valid. That's valid. See, because I, yeah, because I, I mean, the story in the original was no complex thing. They were yeah, literally, you know, going on a trip, picked up a hitchhiker, and ended up in the predicament. There was no major complexity to that. I just felt like this one. It was almost like we we got to do things for like the new audiences. So let's come up with the bare minimum weird, ridiculous things we can. When like, no, you don't. You don't. You didn't even have to do that. Well, there was definitely an intention in, by the filmmakers to kind of have people sympathize with Leatherface for a short time, you know, because obviously, you know, uh, what happens to him is something that we'll all have to face at one time or another. Well, most of us will have to face at one time or another, and we're all going to react to it differently. I- I'm not saying that his reaction is justified, not by any stretch, but I'm saying I understand it um, in a Norman Bates kind of way. Let's just go with that. In a Norman Bates kind of way, I understand his reaction to what happens. But, you know, obviously in the real world, that doesn't play well. So, you know, he would be a villain regardless. But I, I, I for whatever it's worth, I will give my props to the filmmakers for doing that, for trying to make him just slightly sympathetic, not ultra sympathetic. It's not like we feel bad for him the whole movie. Absolutely not. Once he goes, starts on his rampage, He's just a psycho killer. You know, he's not that little kid that misses someone at all. You know, he's just that big, crazy, uncontrollable killer again that he was 48 years ago. By the way, man, what great shape Leatherface is in for what? Almost 70, if not over 70? 
Yeah, he moves better than he did uh, in the 70 forever. Like, I mean... Yeah, he throws the chainsaw way better now than he ever did 48 years ago. I couldn't believe it. That's why, I mean, at times, I was... But, I mean, that's the same shit as the Michael Myers, like, the 2018 and, like, right? Like, Myers looks... What did he train in MMA? Like, (laughs) hand-to-hand combat? Like, that. that's why it just frustrates me because these people are making these movies saying like i don't know maybe i'm just mis- misinterpreting their intentions with these movies because they're saying like direct sequels so to me it's putting an idea in my head okay what you're doing is you're looking at the sequel looking at where the franchise went wrong with just making them ridiculous and nothing like it and you're going to try to steer it back because you're the one purposely telling me okay we're ignoring everything that's happened since and going back so then Shouldn't there be some expectation like, well, that's what you're trying to make? Obviously, in 2022 and I guess 2021 for like the other one, it's not going to look the same. Like, I understand we're not going to have an exact look and feel, but I just feel like if you're the one going out of your way to say this, then why as a viewer or, you know, a horror fan in general, should my expectation not be that that's what you're trying to steer more towards? But yet what we're getting to me feels just as ridiculous like it out there and nothing like what the original was trying to be as all the other ones so that's kind of where i'm coming from with it but at the same time if this is a direct sequel to the original leatherface is the only survivor i mean everybody kind of ate it at in the original i guess we never really did find out with the cook what happened to the cook right did we do we know what happened to the cook after the original he survived Uh, the original didn't he now that i think about it or did he I yeah, I thought he did. Died, right? Yeah, um, Hitchhiker got squished by the truck. Um, Grandpa, I assume, died either I would during one or he two. Died of old age, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he turned um, into dust at some point. <laughs> yeah, because it's only the two of them that chase her. Right. So, I mean, who knows? I mean, there there could be another story to tell, which obviously they kind of tried to with Texas Chainsaw Part 2, you know, the, with Dennis Hopper. Um, but yeah. And, and the other thing I would like to see one of these franchises do when we get these so-called requel, why don't you just set it like a little bit after they like, why does it always have to be a requel, but set in present time? Like, can we do a requel, but like, a, like maybe fill in some gap instead of being like, it's going to be a requel, but 50 years later, like, no, no, we don't need that. How about like a requel and you're going to set it like a few years later than the original, you know, try doing that. Yeah, because when you do something that's like 50 years ahead of time, it's like it just leaves so many unanswered questions. Like, how is Leatherface still living in this town? So you're basically telling me that he survived the events of the original, which we know he did. But then somehow he was able to run back home and hide for 48 years. Like, literally, there was no investigation. There was no manhunt. There was no I mean, Sally Hardesty survived. And obviously, because of the intro of the movie, it's a very famous crime in Texas. So it had to be, you know, endlessly investigated and this and that. Yet yeah. And I don't even are. know how much is he actively hiding as opposed to he's just a weird, dumb hermit in the first yes, place. Exactly. Like, I, <laughs> like, I don't see him going out of his way to hide. I mean, you would think that. Well, are we are. Uh, the thing is, is that are we forgetting the scene in the in the prison transport that could kind of give away some little bit of sense about why he's been hiding as long as he has? I I think the prison bus kind of explains some of it. I mean, I mean, I I know we haven't even really gotten into true spoilers yet, but I I, I think the prison bus sequence the 
uh, police transfer sequence explains a little bit about that, but otherwise, I. I, I, I see where Mike is coming from because, uh, again, that's just, you know, the piss poor writing about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she he's been there for 50 years and she, he hasn't been found, but he hasn't moved anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even like if there's not an active manhunt for him, well, he has to be doing something to survive, you know, so it's like you were telling me he wouldn't have been spotted or anything. Like It's, it's just kind of weird. Well, I mean, that part of it, you know, I can just because of who he's living with, I guess I can I can kind of give a pass on that. But like I said, my biggest thing is going to be the first six months after Sally Hardesty got away. Like what happened during those six months that yielded no arrests? And yeah, see, to me, that's a more interesting story. What happened immediately after? And if you're going to do a requel, like, let's tell that story, not. Oh, let's just fast forward 50 years. They could have done it if the the girl hadn't left the convenience store because it looked like the program that she was watching had just started. So if she would have just sat her ass there, we could have gotten some answers. <laughs> That's valid. We could have just watched that documentary. Maybe there's a full version of that documentary somewhere on the Internet. <laughs> I'm just saying is that it looked like it was going to tell the tell give those sure. answers if she would have just kept her ass there for yep. five to ten minutes. We could have known that. Yeah. I mean, Mike's point is valid. It 100% is. I mean, it, it, when you do the sequel or the requel, whatever, this long after the original, it just leaves so many unanswered questions. I mean, even Halloween 2018, you know, they, they just expect us to believe that Michael Myers stayed in a mental institution for 40 years and never had an incident whatsoever. It's like, well, OK, I guess I can believe that. Um, you know, it's that suspension of disbelief type of thing. But here it's definitely a lot harder to suspend disbelief just because of everything that happened in 74 and how he's living in 2022 like nothing ever happened. You know, it's just it's it's a little bit of a stretch for me, even for me. And, you know, usually I'm not a big I don't make a big deal of suspension of disbelief, but. Yeah, this is too much. They they just leave too many unanswered questions for us to really even once we're five minutes into the movie. It's like, well, 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 fuck that didn't catch us up. That one little piece. Oh, by the way, wonderful to have John Larroquette back. I don't know if anybody noticed that was John Larroquette's voice uh, during the the newsreel at the beginning of the film, who, of course, famously is the narrator of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And hopefully he got paid in more than marijuana this time. I'm sure he actually got a paycheck this time for his work. So. <laughs> well, he probably, probably had the same thing for the remake because he did that, too. Oh, that's true. That's valid. So, yeah. So um, for whatever it's worth, you know, the movie starts strong. I like the newsreel. I like the footage, the the picture footage, the the kind of uh, the reenactment footage that they actually make with like a fake leather face chasing after a pickup truck. Like all of that, I thought worked really well for me. But that but then, yeah, like I said, once you introduce these characters and we find out what they're actually doing in Harlow, it's like, wait, what? Really? That's a thing. You can flip a town like I mean, you know, I've heard of flipping houses, but flipping a town is definitely something I've never heard of. But if it's a thing, rock on, you know, make money any way you can, I guess, as long as you're not fucking people over. But so I like how I like how. (laughs) Well, I guess I should save it for spoilers, but. Well, fuck it. At this point, let's just get into it. Uh, we keep we're all biting our tongue here and trying not to say too much. At this point, I can't imagine that anybody who hasn't seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre that's still with us is gonna plan on watching it, <laughs> unless they're thoroughly shocked that I actually enjoyed it as much as I did. 
then maybe. So this is your final spoiler warning, folks. If you haven't seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022, go ahead and pause the show. Go watch the movie and you'll be right back here in one hour and 22 minutes. Isn't that awesome? It'll be the quickest pause ever. So yeah, go watch the movie. Otherwise, if you already saw the movie or just flat don't care about watching the movie, go ahead and join us so we can tell you everything that's wrong with this movie. (laughs) God. Hmm. Uh, So as we already said, you know, the movie starts out with a newsreel, uh, once again, uh, narrated by Mr. John Larroquette. And um, I almost didn't recognize him at first. Um, I I actually had to look at the credits to actually see, like, after my first watch, I'm like, who did the, yeah, I was, because it just didn't jump out at me as John Larroquette. I'm sure it did to some people, but I haven't seen the man since Night Court, so I have no idea what his voice sounds like anymore. So. Our movie opens up with our main characters, uh, Melody, Leela, Dante, and um, Melody's little sister. Or is wait, is Leela the little sister? Leela, yeah, Leela's the sister. I think it's Dante's. Uh, the blonde wife. girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, girl, wife. girlfriend or uh, fiance. He says he says future oh. wife. He he calls her his future wife to the cop when he gets pulled over. That's my beautiful future wife, sir. <laughs> I forgot her name though, so. Uh, I don't know. Let's go with Ruth. Ruth sounds good. Um, anyway, our four friends are driving to Harlow, Texas. Uh, they end up stopping at a convenience store where they, you know, um, have a fairly polite interaction with a store clerk who kind of asks them where they're going. And, uh, they tell them that they're going to Harlow and apparently everyone is aware of their coming. Everyone who's still in the town of Harlow is aware that these folks, you know, bought a bunch of properties in the downtown area and are coming out to have an auction. Uh, but for the most part, the town is pretty desolate. I mean, as far as locals go, all we really see is, you know, the the, the store clerk, uh, the contractor, Leatherface, and the one family member that's still there with Leatherface, which we'll get into here in a little bit. Um, and then just before they leave the gas station, uh, we get your basic kind of redneck rubbing the city folk the wrong way kind of scene where we, we get a, uh, a guy, you know, in a big old red pickup truck carrying a, a very open sidearm, um, a pistol on his side. And basically, um, Melody, our main uh, social influencer, if you will, uh, basically makes a comment literally questioning the guy's dick size, basically asks, you know, how small a penis do you have to be to carry a weapon out? And this is where, of course, you know, we fully expect for the redneck to have, you know, to try to fuck with the with the city folk or whatever. But, man, he calmly and politely just walks over to her and says, ma'am, we have a feral dog situation here in this town. And, um, you know, uh, most of us need to carry a sidearm to defend ourselves if, you know, we're attacked by a feral dog. Um, and, And then he makes like one other statement to try to kind of make her feel bad a little bit about her comment. But he doesn't get rude at no point. Does he get rude or condescending or, you know, he doesn't say a little lady or anything like that. So this is why up to this point in the movie, I'm kind of sold because they're not no character in the movie is really rubbing me the wrong way thus far, which, you know. Um, might not be the same story for other people watching. I'm sure by this point, Mike was already either pissed off or half asleep. So um, after after our, our four kids leave uh, the town, or excuse me, leave the convenience store, they end up going to the town. Uh, they are now in the town of Harlow. You know, it's desolate. It looks like a ghost town. Like there, there's there's literally nobody around. There's no cars around, nothing. All the businesses are shuttered. Um, you know, nothing is like open, open. 
But then as they approach like the, the center area of the downtown, they see their little redneck friend from the gas station. And as it turns out, that's the contractor that they've been working with over the phone and online to kind of get these deals going. Um, Dante apologizes to the guy. What, uh, what was his name? I don't, I don't want to call him the redneck the whole damn movie. Was that Richter? Uh, or... names, names are names are fucking with me. Um, I, I, I honestly thought he was the mechanic because uh, it looked like he was in the garage. But right, I mean, right. Uh, but he does introduce himself as the contractor. Yeah, the, that's what I'm saying. Is that I, I'm, um, I'm saying I, I uh, mm-hmm. contractor worker. Um, <laughs> Yeah. The only, the only character I'm looking at the credits list right now, and the only character that doesn't look familiar to me is a guy named Richter. So I'm going to say that's Richter. Um, and, and he also looks like a Richter too, or like a Victor, something like that. He sounds like he's got one of those kind of names. So let's just go with Richter or our contractor. Um, so like I said, once they meet up with him, uh, they collect up the keys uh, to a couple of the buildings in the area. They start to look around. They end up going. Oh, what ends up happening is Dante notices a Confederate flag hanging from the orphanage, from the town orphanage. And they literally have a busload of of investors from the city that could arrive literally at any minute. So they got to get rid of that flag. Um, they kind of make not a big scene, but they make a little bit of a scene where they, you know, they, they want to get that flag pulled down. They end up walking into the orphanage to see if there's a way to get to the flag from inside. While inside, they run into uh, Alice Krieg as Mrs. Mack. Um, that's her. That's her credit in the in the title is uh, just Mrs. Mack. So, or Mrs. MC. I'm not sure. However, we pronounce it. Um, but yeah, they find this old woman, probably in her 70s or 80s, at least in her 70s, potentially in her in her 80s or older. Um, in this house, in the orphanage, basically living there, she she offers them some tea, and then they start to basically tell her, hey, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not sure if anybody didn't inform you, but we actually bought this house, we bought the property, and we were told that it would be abandoned by now. Of course, you know, Alice Krieg's character, you know, Mrs. Mack basically denies it and says, no, what are you talking about? I, I have the title to this house. No one has, No one has bought the house. Uh, They basically say that the bank foreclosed on the house and then she's like, oh, that's where you're mistaken because I paid the bank. The bank is completely paid off. Obviously, that sounds like a line um, to someone who thinks they are the owner of the house. Uh, We'll get back to that little point of contention in a little bit. But uh, basically, as the argument starts getting a little bit heated, um, she calls Dante a Negro at one point, which obviously, you know, to a modern black man, it's a very offensive term. But to someone who actually was alive during the antebellum period, that's probably better than the other N word. That That's probably the respectful term uh, for black people that they use. But of course, Dante instantly gets uh, uh, pissed off, you know, upset, offended, if you will. Um, and he walks out in a huff, you know, just very pissy at that moment. Mrs. Mack kind of falls over. Uh, she's coughing. She seems like she, she might be choking on something. Um, it turns out it's uh, she's having a heart attack. And at that moment, her son makes his appearance. Basically, this large ass, six foot six, 350 pound monster who, you know, we all kind of assume who he is as soon as we see him in the movie. But you know, he's fairly docile. He doesn't attack anyone at first. His mother tells him, you know, there's nothing wrong. Go upstairs. At first, he does go back up to his room. But then once his mother has starts having um, the convulsions, he comes running down the stairs. 
obviously when it, when a man that large is running down the stairs, it's menacing. But of course, he was just running with concern for his mother. Um, the police end up showing up. The two police officers from earlier who welcomed our city folk into town, they end up taking or attempting to take her to the hospital. And at the exact moment that they load Mrs. Mack into the ambulance, the makeshift ambulance, it's not a real ambulance. It's more, it's more like a paddy wagon that they converted into an ambulance because it's such a small town. And um, at that moment, the busload of investors show up. Um, so obviously our two main, the, the people who are running this venture, Melody and Dante, um, what, Melody wants to go to the hospital with Mrs. Mack because of, uh, she feels guilty for what you know she potentially may have caused. Um, but she's one of the people that's running the thing. So Dante's fiance tells her, no, I'll go to the hospital. You stay here, greet the investors, do what you guys do and sell this property. So at this point, uh, the ambulance leaves. I'm starting to understand why Mike thinks this is boring because I'm getting bored talking about it. It's crazy. Um, so after the ambulance leaves, um, unfortunately, Mrs. Mack uh, goes into one final convulsion and she does indeed pass away in the ambulance while they're on the way to the hospital. Um, as soon as she passes away, uh, Leatherface, who I mean, he the only name he has in this movie is Leatherface. I, I feel weird calling him that, but there it is. So I'm just going to say Leatherface, even though he's not Leatherface yet at this point. But um, like I said, he reacts very violently to his mother passing away and he ends up attacking the police officer in in the back of the ambulance in what is a very awesome arm snap. He basically grabs his arm, snaps his arm upwards, compound fracture with both of the broken bones sticking out. And then he uses the bones that are sticking out as a dagger. He basically uses the, the appendage as a dagger and stabs the police officer multiple times in the neck. While the police officer is getting stabbed, he is able to pull his sidearm out. Unfortunately, he's only able to get one shot off. And of course, it goes right through the throat of the other police officer who is driving the truck. Um, the ambulance then goes off the road and slams into a parked tractor there on the side of the road with where all the sunflowers are. I guess, you know, this is this is a scene that's kind of... Um, uh, what do you call it? It's kind of focused on in the trailer. So, you know, you guys are probably familiar with it with, you know, before you even saw the movie. Um, Dante's wife wakes up still in the passenger seat, uh, realizing that the police officer in the back of the truck is dead and the police officer in the driver's seat is dead. She looks over her shoulder and notices Leatherface pulling his mother's body out of the ambulance. And in what is a rather surprising turn to me, because I mean, obviously it's never been established who Leatherface likes peeling faces off of, like whose faces he likes to wear. But, you know, I think the majority of us would never thought that he was actually wearing the faces of potential loved ones. But what we actually end up seeing is he pulls his mother's body out of the ambulance and promptly grabs a large piece of broken glass and peels her face off. Yes, very unceremoniously, just peels off her face in one big you know, chunk, a fairly sloppy piece, though. If you guys have seen the trailer, you know uh, what it looks like. Um, at that moment, she, uh, our Dante's uh, fiance, grabs the CB radio in the truck 
in the ambulance and tries to call out for anyone. Apparently, this town only has two police officers because there's no one manning any radios anywhere except for the guy at the convenience store that we met earlier. What ends up happening is she's terrified to let go of the button on the CB radio because you guys know, you know, when an incoming message comes in, it's very loud and it's going to obviously give away her position. Or, or the fact that she's still alive. So she's holding down the, the, the handset the entire time. So smart girl, uh, A plus for decision making. Uh, she's holding that down the whole time. And she's just basically saying what she's, um, what she's seeing. She's describing what she's seeing. Um, I'm in a sunflower field. Uh, we just crashed. I'm in the police uh, ambulance. Um, and then she starts saying, oh, my God, he's, he's peeling her face off. He's wearing her face. The moment that she says he's wearing her face, um, our convenience store clerk just happens to walk right by the C his CB radio and hears just that one line. And what does that one line prompt him to do? It prompts him to pick up the phone and he tells the operator to get me Hardesty. Because uh, apparently Hardesty is some kind of fucking famous bounty hunter now or something that you can just say, get me Hardesty. And every operator knows exactly what the fuck you're talking about. So, yeah, silly moment number 3084 for this movie. But, yeah, another silly line. Uh, the next scene, we actually see uh, an older woman uh, butchering a pig. This, I mean, right from the first frame that Sally is in this movie, I feel like they're disrespecting her. Like she's literally sitting there butchering a pig, which I'm sorry, just doesn't feel like something that a woman who survived the Texas Chainsaw Massacre would be doing unless her mind cracked. Of course, you know, obviously I know nothing of psychosis or, you know, psychopathy in any way, shape or form. I, I like to consider myself fairly normal, fairly. Um, but. You know, who knows what it does to the human psyche, to the human mind. I just don't see Sally Hardesty butchering a pig in her barn 48 years later. But anyway, just as she's conveniently butchering this pig, she gets a text on her phone. She picks up the phone, dials a number and just goes, this is Hardesty. And, and oh, God, the cringe factor is just slapping me in the face at this point. It's just the writing this is where the writing really gets terrible. It's already bad at this point, mind you. But as soon as Sally is introduced, she's basically just a bag of one-liners throughout her entire appearance in this movie. And not a one of them is effective. They're all terrible. Uh, and like I said, I feel so bad. You know, obviously this isn't Marilyn Burns reprising her role because that would be an even worse atrocity. If they would have actually gotten, not, not that you could, but if they could have actually gotten Marilyn Burns to reprise her role and this is exactly what they did with it, I would hate this movie a lot more. But for whatever it's worth, it's just the character, <laughs> not the actress. I know it's a stupid justification. It's it's a dumb one, but whatever. It's mine. So, yeah. um, you know, she, uh, like I said, she ends up picking up the call, uh, the phone. Um, and she just stands there listening to someone on the other end and we see her clean up and we, we get the, uh, we get the, the, what do you call it? The action hero getting ready montage where we see her grab her bag. She grabs a shotgun. She grabs her cowboy hat. Cause of course it's the Texas chainsaw massacre. Gotta have a cowboy hat in there. Um, and then, but then we get a really nice shot, which I talked about earlier in the in the episode, where we see the shot of her getting into her truck and driving away. It is a gorgeous shot that harkens back to 1974. 
So like I said, um, I will I will always appreciate what these filmmakers did to at least try to make the movie feel like 74. Obviously, their level of success is up to you. But for whatever it's worth, I at least appreciate the effort. So. All right. So we're back in Harlow. And this is um, about the point where shit hits the fan. Um, I'm not going to go over every single goddamn kill because there's a bunch of them. Um, uh, but let's get to the let's get to the the scene that everybody's going to be talking about, whether they love it or they hate it. And of course, that is the bus. At one point in the film, all of the investors uh, basically it starts to rain in in Harlow. Um, the, a storm is going. And they all decide to get back on the bus because it's a party bus, mind you. I forgot to mention that. It's actually a party bus with alcohol and everything else. There's a DJ and lights and all that kind of shit back there. So at one point, um, you know, everybody's on the bus basically waiting for Melody and her sister to get back with the keys uh, for reasons I don't feel like getting into right now. Um, but of course, what ends up happening is they end up opening uh, the bus. Uh, they give the driver the keys. The driver starts to drive away. We hear the bus hit something. We don't actually get to see the outside of the bus uh, camera view. Uh, basically, something hits the bus, making the bus stop in its tracks. The driver, like a fucking moron, opens the door, walks right outside. And then what you hear is just a little short rev of the chainsaw, not like a full blown, but just like a, just like a real quickie. And then literally a few seconds later, the bus driver's severed head comes flying back into the bus. Really corny. Oh, even I got to admit that I love my severed heads. I really do. And when we get to the end of this movie, I'll prove how much I love severed heads. But yeah, this one was kind of goofy, a little silly. What are you going to do? Uh, and then it's the scene, uh, that everybody is either waiting for or dreading, um, Leatherface's rampage in the bus. Yes. Now folks, you gotta, uh, the, the, to the people that this pissed off, you have to realize that this is a very common thing now, um, where heroes that have been in movies for decades, years and years and years, will finally get their rampage scene, something that they never got in the first bit of their franchise. Let me give you some examples. Let's travel back to 2009 and think about a movie called Freddy vs. Jason. Jason Voorhees never killed more than two people at a time during any of his movies, but what happens in 2009? Uh, we get 2002, a 2002, Venom. Is it 2002? I'm, oh, right, 2009 is the remake. You're right. 2009 is the remake. I'm very sorry. Uh, yeah, like Don said, 2002, Freddy versus Jason. Jason gets his rampage through a rave in a cornfield, taking out all sorts of good-looking white kids and uh, everything else, um, which ultimately, I love that scene. I, I think that scene is honestly one of my favorites of that movie. It might be a little hokey or corny to some people, but it is a scene uh, that I really enjoy. Let's fast forward to 2016 to a little movie called Rogue One, a Star Wars story. We've never seen Darth Vader fight anyone more than one-on-one. -on -one, and what do we get at the end of Rogue One? Darth Vader takes out about a dozen fucking rebel uh, uh, forces in what is one of the most epic lightsaber scenes ever put to film. It, it, it is, it's the culmination of 30 years of film watching for me to finally see Darth Vader kick absolute fucking ass like we all knew he could. We didn't need to see this, but they gave it to us anyway. It was like that extra little Christmas present under the tree 
um, from because Rogue One is already a great movie. Without that tacked on Darth Vader ending, it is a spectacular film, one of the best Star Wars films ever. Um, but then you throw that extra ending on there, and holy shit, it, it's just amazing. The nerd boner I had was gigantic. All right, let's fast forward another couple of years to a little movie called Halloween Kills. And what do we get in the opening scene? Michael Myers against about 20 firefighters. Or I think the exact number was 11. I think they mentioned 11 firefighters on the scene. And what ends up happening? One of the most fun, uh, just guilty pleasure scenes in a Halloween franchise. Just watching J uh, Michael Myers decimate these firefighters who... In their defense, they're just doing their job. They're good guys. It's not like I'm enjoying watching firefighters die. I'm enjoying watching Michael Myers take on 11 guys at once. And these are 11 guys with pickaxes and chainsaws. Like, these aren't unarmed men, you know? So, again, uh, another rampage that maybe we, didn't, we never thought we'd get. And now here we are, folks. 2022. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Leatherface gets his rampage. So my point is, is that the people who are upset about that just realize that that's kind of the norm now. Um, I mean, I, I fully anticipate if we ever get another Victor Crowley movie, he'll have a crazy ass rampage in like a mall or something, you know, some mall in New Orleans where he'll take out like 20 people. Who knows? So ultimately... I see the hate for the rampage because it kind of goes against the original formula. But again, I do like when filmmakers try something new and ultimately none of the rampages that I've mentioned or any of the others that I'm thinking of that I didn't mention ever come off as like too over the top or hokey. This is probably the one, this is the one where it kind of gets a little over the top um, in the sense that yes, you know, we get that scene with that first kid who says, you know, you'll get canceled, bro. And then he basically gets cut in half live on his own Twitter or TikTok feed, which is actually kind of satisfying for whatever that's worth. And then, of course, Leatherface does what is expected. He kills everybody on the bus. There are no survivors, except, of course, for our two main characters, Melody and Lily, who get out of the emergency hatch on top above the bathroom. They're able to get out of the bus. And they start to run away from the bus as Leatherface gets out uh, after having killed literally everyone on the bus. Um, that's when Sally kind of makes her heroic uh, appearance, where she kind of shows up at the last second, just as Leatherface is about to kill, I think, the younger sister. Um, Sally Hardesty shows up, and um, she picks up the girls, puts them in the car, and the girls obviously want her to drive away instantly. Just go, just drive away, don't look back, blah, blah, blah. But of course, Sally kind of understands what's going on. She even says it's him, isn't it? It's Leatherface. That bothers me too, the fact that she used the word Leatherface. I don't know how comfortable I feel with that. It just felt unnatural coming out of Sally's mouth. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm just wrong on that. Maybe it actually does feel natural since she is the survivor of the original you know, uh, events. But it just felt weird hearing her say, it's Leatherface, isn't it? And, oh God. <laughs> And then finally, she's face to face with Leatherface outside. <laughs> and, and she actually says this, folks. I'm so sorry that she said this. I, I, I'm so sorry for Sally Hardesty, for, for a fucking imaginary character. I feel bad. That's what these filmmakers have done. They've made me feel bad for a fucking imaginary character. 
so she literally looks at Leatherface and says, you remember me? I survived that night to make, to come back today and make sure you don't. Ah, oh, I felt my soul leave my body when she gave that fucking line. Oh my God, folks. And that's still not some of the worst writing in this movie. I may have missed some of the just awful uh, line deliveries and terrible lines of dialogue in this film. Maybe it's just my brain trying to, you know, make sure that I have a good memory of this movie after I walk away because yeah, there's some, there's some cringe beyond cringe worthy dialogue in this fucking movie. Just some awful, awful writing. So, well, we are also going to look past the fact that she has him dead to rights shotgun aimed at his head. Okay, yeah, I think yeah, I know where you're going with that. If you cut me off, then yeah. Oh no, yeah, I'm she, sorry. And she decides that's, that's she'd actually, like to have yeah. a conversation with him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah um, obviously, movies like um, Austin Powers and Team America have made fun of the villain monologuing, but this movie literally has our hero fucking monologuing after she um, gets inside. Um, she's inside one of the buildings. She's literally mere feet away from Leatherface, she literally starts monologuing. She starts talking about, do you remember me? And then when she realizes that he doesn't remember her, she, she gets offended. She actually somehow gets offended that he doesn't remember the girl who survived 48 years ago. Like I said, it's probably not something he even thinks about on a day to day basis, but yeah, Sally gets offended. She starts monologuing about, you know, her life and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then finally, she once she kind of comes to not comes to terms, but once the shock of him not remembering who she is, she ends up fucking freezing. And I'm not kidding. Leatherface gets up. Mind you, Leatherface is in a seated position when she walks into the room with his back turned. She could have blown his head off and made the movie an hour long. But no. She's got to start monologuing. And once she starts monologuing and gets that look on her face, that deer in the headlights look on her face because she's in shock that he doesn't remember her. He literally gets up, turns around, walks towards his chainsaw, bends down, picks up his chainsaw, walks right past Sally and goes outside. What the fuck? Are you kidding me? Yeah, that- they, didn't even, they didn't even do like the she tries to shoot and the gun's jammed or something. They just straight. Nope. Oh, she just freezes up and lets him walk out of the room. I was like, what? Hey, oh God, it, it is. Yeah, it, it's so painful. Once again, I've already said it about a dozen times and I'm going to say it a, at least a dozen more. This movie is very disrespectful to Sally. It, it's just, it's just flat disrespect to me. Like I, I can't think of any other way to put it. Yeah. Weak writing. Yeah. Terrible storytelling. But ultimately, it's disrespectful. Um, you know, if if uh, if Amy Steele came back to a Friday the 13th movie, I don't think they would ever do this to her. Um, if Caroline Williams were to come back to a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, I'd like to think they wouldn't do this to her. But yeah. And uh, since you brought her up, I, I didn't want to correct you again, but um, I, I looked her up while you said that because I knew the name wasn't right. It's Stretch. Stretch, not Dutch. Yep, you're right. You are yeah, absolutely I, I, correct. I, yeah, I, I was looking that up because I, I, I could have sworn that was wrong, but I didn't know offhand. So I looked yep. it up while you were saying that. I didn't know if you were going to do that again, but since you brought it up, it's a stretch. Yep. Nope. Perfect. Thank you. I knew it was something like that. It ended in TCH. I was I was halfway there. 
close enough. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So anyway, um, after this ridiculous fucking scene where Leatherface walks right by a fully armed and loaded Sally Hardesty, he walks right past her, he walks outside, and he goes out to her car where the girls, uh, the, our final two girls, Melody and Lily, are inside of um, Sally's car, but they're locked in. Sally has a locking, like a child lock mechanism in her truck, and she basically locks the girls in there. I think she even has like a throwaway line about, oh, no, I can't I can't let you go yet because he's after you and I need to kill him first or something along those lines. So uh, just another terrible throwaway line for Sally. So anyway, finally, Sally um, Leatherface walks out, sees the girls in the car. He smashes one of the windows, starts pulling the younger sister out of the car. And then, of course, we hear the inevitable gunshot from the darkness. Uh, come out, hit Leatherface in the chest, and then it's Sally. And I don't, I don't know if this is Sally trying to emulate her laugh from the end of the original, but she literally starts laughing hysterically as she's shooting rounds uh, from her shotgun into Leatherface. Like, I, like I said, if it's an attempt at her trying to recreate that, it was an absolute fail. Um, I don't even see the comedy in that situation. Like, what what exactly is she laughing at there? I don't know. It's up to your interpretation. But she starts laughing. Finally, um, she ends up uh, trying to pull the trigger one final time on Leatherface's right in his face. Um, but the gun doesn't go off. She's out of ammo. And at that moment, Leatherface, uh, I, I hate even fucking saying this. <laughs> Leatherface fucking impales Sally with his chainsaw, basically holding her up uh, in the air in a carbon fucking copy of Michael Myers holding up the fireman from the opening scene of Halloween Kills. And if you don't believe me, go online. Uh, people have got side by side pictures. It's the fucking same picture. Just with different characters in it. It's, I, I just, I don't know if that was like an homage or a purposeful ripoff or just, you know, idiocy because they don't remember that literally a movie just last year did that. But whatever. And I uh, think they're going more for the effect of he's strong enough to hold her in the air with the weapon. But uh, yeah. It, yeah, it, I, I don't buy it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so anyway, so she is just completely 100% skewered. The chainsaw is coming out of her other side. And while he's holding her up in the air, he is revving the chainsaw. So he's doing even more damage to her insides. Mind you, folks, this is a woman who's almost 70 years old. Let's say let's say conservatively, Sally was 18 years old uh, for the events of the first Texas Chainsaw. Uh, 48 years later, that would make her 66 years old. This is a fucking 66-year-old woman who's not <laughs> in any particularly great shape. I mean, she's skinny, but it's not like she's buff. She's, she doesn't have, like, Madonna muscles or anything, those old lady Madonna muscles. Um, she's just a thin 66-year-old woman who has been impaled by a fucking chainsaw. The reason I keep reiterating this is because in five minutes, Sally is going to fucking wake up and continue shooting Leatherface with said 12-gauge shotgun. Um, finally, he kind of uh, runs away from Sally. Mind you, I mean, Sally's not like standing. She's still laying on the ground. She should be dead. She should be dead six times over at this point, but whatever. Still alive. She's able to get two more shots off in the shotgun to kind of scare Leatherface away. 
And then the younger sister runs past um, Sally and Sally tells her, don't run Uh, because she's running. She's basically doing um, Leela. The little sister is basically doing what her big sister told her to, which was run. I'm I'm dead. There's nothing that you can do for me now. So just run. Get out of here. You have to survive. Mind you, we completely skipped over the fact that Leela is a school shooting survivor. And multiple times in this movie, she does have like little flashbacks that kind of put her in danger because she's 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 having like a fight or flight uh, response problem, you know, where she kind of freezes um, because certain situations that are occurring in this film remind her of what happened during that school shooting. Honestly, it's such a throwaway backstory uh, that it really it has no bearing on the fucking movie anyway, which is probably why I didn't feel the need to bring it up. But I'll bring it up just in case. OK, so. Um, we're outside, uh, Leela, like I said, runs by Sally and Sally tells her, don't run away. Um, he'll haunt you forever. Now, what's funny is that the first time I saw the film, I thought she said hunt. I thought she said, he'll hunt you forever. And it's like, well, what the fuck are you talking about? He never hunted you. He literally never even left his hometown to come look for you. But then it made more sense on the second watch. I listened carefully and she says haunt. And that's valid, 100%. You know, when you survive a situation like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, those memories are going to haunt you for the rest of your fucking life. There's nothing you can do about that. So, um but anyway, she ends up convincing uh, Leela not to run away, ends up loading two more shotgun shells into her rifle, her shotgun, and then kind of p- tries to pass it over to Leela just as she dies. Yes, finally, Sally has died. This this fucking waking nightmare that they just put this character through is finally over. Um, I will forever hate these filmmakers for what they did to <laughs> Sally Hardesty. I, you know, as, even though I said I'm overall positive on this film, fuck these filmmakers for what they did to a classic legacy character, a character that we've loved for almost 50 years, to treat her like this. Th- there's just no justification for it whatsoever. Just zero. So, yeah, I, I'm sorry. As much as I enjoyed the movie, fuck you guys for what you did. Just not cool. <laughs> So anyway, um, Leela gets away, Sally lives, but of course Leela does decide to grab the shotgun and face Leatherface because, you know, like she said, like Sally said, she doesn't want to be haunted for her own life, for her whole life, excuse me. We end up getting the the climactic finale, the final battle where Leatherface, Melody, and Leela are basically fighting each other in the basement of one of the buildings in downtown Harlow. Um, the fight kind of goes back and forth. You know, the girls get the upper hand, Leatherface gets the upper hand back and forth, like any good wrestling match, you know, the the upper hand kind of changes. But then finally, um, we see Leatherface kind of pick up his chainsaw. Uh, Melody is perceivably knocked out, uh, from a previous blow and Leela's on the ground, unable to move, like just from fatigue and all of the damage that she's taken. And Leatherface kind of lifts up the chainsaw uh, to take his final blow. And then, of course, you know, um, we hear a, yet again a gunshot from behind. He's shot. Um, Leela picks up the shotgun to try to shoot Leatherface again. Unfortunately, they're out of bullets. The gun just clicks. And just as Leatherface is about to come in for the kill yet again, 
This time, Melody shows up, but this time she is wielding Leatherface's own chainsaw. She revs up the chainsaw, and, and this is one of the most idiotic decisions in this film. She, rather than just jam the fucking chainsaw right into his midsection and just grind his fucking insides out like he just did to Sally, all she does is she takes an upward swipe, which basically splits his chin. So basically his lower chin gets split into two pieces. He falls back into a puddle of water that's there in the basement. Oh. There's there's some flooding. And that's it. That's uh basically, you know, we at this point we think that's the end of the film and man, if that would have been the end of the film, it would have left me incredibly unsatisfied. But basically what we get is one final scene where Melody and Leela are starting to drive away. They did make a point early in the movie to show us that the uh, the Tesla that they're driving has autopilot. Because um, then what happens is um, just as they program the car to go back home to Austin, Texas, where they all came from, uh, literally as soon as they hit the button to engage the autopilot, the car starts moving forward. Melody starts to tell a joke. And then at that exact moment, Leatherface comes in, snatches Melody from the passenger seat, and literally with full camera right in front of the shot, no cuts, no nothing, chainsaws her fucking head right off in front of a screaming Leela who's stuck in a car who has its autopilot engaged. Now, I don't know how hard it is to disengage autopilot. Once it's been engaged, I would imagine there has to be a way but uh, Leela is like a teenager at this point. I mean, I, I can't even imagine she's 18 years old, this girl. Um, so she's basically stuck in a car that's already uh, driving back to her home in Austin, and she's unable to stop it, which kind of emulates uh, the ending of the original with Sally in the back of the pickup truck kind of hysterically laughing, crying. But this time it's Leela. Uh, sticking her head out of the sunroof of the car that's already had its autopilot engaged while she watches Leatherface unceremoniously uh, chainsaw her head right off. Like I said, folks, this ending was so fucking satisfying to me. I don't usually like endings that are open-ended, you know, where the killer's just left alive and, like, this movie just felt pointless, like there's no actual end to it. It, this movie really isn't the story of Leatherface. It's the story of these woke teenagers who come to Harlow and try to gentrify the town. And it's like once their story is over, the movie is over, even though Leatherface is alive. And we even get a great little, which I do appreciate, we get a great little post credit scene where we see Leatherface by himself walking back towards the original farm. Uh, from the original film in 1974, the sun is setting in the background and it's just a really, once again, it's a really cool shot of Leatherface kind of walking into the sunset back towards his old homestead, more than likely to go back to his old activities from before, because now he doesn't even have mama to take care of him. So boys got to eat and barbecues in the family. So I would imagine he's going to you know, uh, barbecue and butchering are in the family. So I would imagine he's going to go back to his activities. But yeah, that is your open-ended ending for Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022. Like I said, just sitting here talking about it makes me dislike the movie even more because it just really brings to light all the problems that this movie has. Like I said, with its storytelling, with its character development, it's, you know, some of the character dialogue is just awful. Some of the character decisions maybe aren't the brightest, though not 
abhorrently terrible as they usually are. Still, there's still some questionable decisions here and there. But like I said, ultimately, I've said it eight times already. I'm going to say it one last time before we end these festivities. I walked into this expecting absolutely nothing, and I got an hour and 22 minutes of a mildly fun slasher. It's not going to change the world. It's not going to rewrite history. It's not going to reinvent the wheel. It's just uh, a movie that you're either going to love or hate. And honestly, whatever side of the fence you're on, you're right. I mean, the movie has a lot of problems. The movie is easily hateable. Uh, for whatever it's worth, I'm forgiving a lot of its foibles because of how much I enjoyed the first two acts, because of how much I enjoyed the kills, because of how much I enjoyed Leatherface himself. Even though, as Mike said, this didn't even need to be a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. In fact, I can solidly and confidently stand here right now and say the biggest disservice that the filmmakers did to this movie is putting the title Texas Chainsaw Massacre on it. Once they did that, they doomed themselves to failure. And no matter what they gave us, it would not have been enough to satisfy uh, the masses, especially, you know, the hardcore Texas Chainsaw Massacre fans, which I do kind of count myself as. Mike said he's not that big a franchise fan. We all know Friday the 13th is my franchise, but um, Texas Chainsaw is one that I've always respected. Um, even the goofy middle chapters, you know, with McConaughey and Renee Zellweger and the 3D shit that they did later on, I mean... That that stuff is atrocious, but there's always little elements of it that I can pull out of it that I still kind of enjoy. Um, Mike had a valid point to say that even though those were some terrible sequels, they still do kind of have that family DNA of the original Texas Chainsaw in there. So there's still some quality scenes in there to be watched. But um, like I said, I understand Mike's hate for the movie, whether it's hatred, boredom, you know, whatever you want to go with. I 100% understand it, but for this one moment in time, I am the highest on a, on a terrible movie on Fresh Cuts, so I'm going to enjoy this moment, folks, and kind of just bask in my sunlight here for a little bit. Go ahead, are, are, are we supposed to believe Leatherface is, like, supernatural now? Because, I mean, he took shotgun shots, like, I think that was up. hitting... I think the, the shotgun hits actually hit the vest more than him. I, I, yeah. I think... Vest, I think the vest acted more as uh, some kind of flimsy bulletproof vest kind of a thing. I I, I don't think there bulletproof is bulletproof from shotgun. No, no, I mean not yeah. bulletproof, but I understand what Don is saying because I mean he was wearing multiple layers of denim, and even though yeah that's not going to completely protect you, there is some protection there on top of the fact that they weren't shotgun blacks from point blank range. Um, when Sally shot him in the shoulder, she was a good twelve to fifteen feet away. Um, so that's yeah. definitely not a, a fatal blow anyway. But doesn't should... the girl shoot him right before he falls into the water? No. Uh, no. No, those are vest hits. Those are the ones where she hits the vest because she blows that open. Because she blows the vest open before he falls in because that's where she's aiming. She's not She's not strong enough to lift it heavy, to lift it high enough to get him in the head. Yeah. I mean... I understand both your points, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I kind of lean towards Don only because multiple layers of denim does give some, you know, moniker of protection. Not a lot. Uh, it would kill a normal human being. I fully agree with that. But I'm saying, you know, we're talking about a six foot six mongoloid. Um, I'm gonna say he would survive that. He's gonna be in pain for a few weeks. That's for damn sure. 
And especially at his age. <laughs> exactly. He's a 70-year-old man, for God's sakes. Oh, by the way, I meant to point out, I don't know how fast you guys were on the draw, but did you notice the artist's conception drawing of Leatherface during the opening news clip? It said that he was 15 to 20 years old. Who the fuck guesses that in 1974, that giant fucking mongoloid is 15 to 20 years old? I don't think anybody would ever make that assumption. (laughs) But that's what they said in the news. Now, mind you, I understand they did it for this movie. Because if Leatherface was in his 30s in 1974, then he should basically be dead right now. <laughs> he'd be, he'd be in his 80s. <laughs> he would be the grandpa at the dinner table. But, you know, exactly! That would have been great, actually. Could you imagine if Leatherface <laughs> was the new grandpa because he couldn't yeah. move? <laughs> it's stupid enough that it might have worked. <laughs> I mean, it's no stupider than anything that was in this movie. And yes, I did just say stupider. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and like just circling back to what what I said about the franchise, it, it was more as a whole because the original, yeah, it's probably in like my top ten of all time, oh, gotcha. if not in it, it's like around it. And and two, I love just for absurdity, you know. Yep. Um, but pretty much after two, other than bits and pieces of different uh, sequels, exactly. yep, I'm not too high on any of them. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I did enjoy the remake. What was that? 2003, I think, with uh, Jessica Biel. I enjoyed it. I don't think it's better than the original. I know a lot of people, that was like a big point of contention at the time. Was it better than the original? Um, You're sitting on the show with one. Oh, I understand. I mean, and what's your face? You're sitting on the show with one, because I think the remake is my my favorite in the entire franchise. Same thing with, uh, what do you call it, Darcy, the male girl on Joe Bob. She prefers the new one. You know, I'm not going to say anybody's wrong if they prefer the new one, because it is a glossy movie. I mean, it's a beautiful film compared to the original. But obviously, for what the original did in the 70s for Grindhouse and for exploitation cinema, it it, it, it can't be undone and it can never be duplicated. So, like I said, I, I tend to look at a movie's position in history um, a lot of the times when I think about what I enjoy watching more. You know, I mean, do I enjoy watching the new Evil Dead more than the original Evil Dead? It it depends on the day, honestly. Some days, yeah, I'll say that 2013 is better than the original. As blasphemous as that is to some people. I don't actually believe that every day. I'm just saying that that movie is so good that when I watch it, I'm always like, oof, that was fucking great. And if it's been a long time since I've seen the original, I might say something stupid like that might be my favorite Evil Dead movie. Obviously, I've never done like a marathon of every Evil Dead movie. I might for the new release uh, before Rise comes out. I might go ahead and revisit all of them and maybe give a definitive ranking on one of the shows. But um, yeah, for what it's worth. Good God, Venom, no. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're an Evil Dead guy, but man, do I love that remake. That's the reason I love Fetty Alvarez is fucking Evil Dead 2013. I adore that film. Like every frame of that film to me is enjoyable. I I know it hits for me more than most people and that's fine. Um, But to me, it's, it's a near flawless remake. I fucking love it. (laughs) Sorry. I'm in the the camp of saying it's on par with it too. And I have the original in my top 10. Yeah. Same here. Originals in my top 10. And I think the remakes on par, not better, but on par. Um, I will 100% agree with that statement. 
Um, yeah, the original Evil Dead is in my top ten all time. That, that's an easy statement. Probably like in the six or seven range for me. But I, I just 2013 just hit me when I saw it that opening weekend. It hit me on every point just perfectly. I don't know how the hell we got to Evil Dead 2013, but anyway, yeah. You were talking about the the upcoming one? Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, my marathon. So, you know, we'll see what I rank them at then. Um, I will not be doing a Texas Chainsaw marathon to try to do like a ranking for that. I'm just going to say I like the first two. I love the first two. I like elements of three and four. I like, um, I enjoy the remake. I'm not going to say that it's like a 10 out of 10, like some people do. Uh, I do enjoy it a lot. Uh, 3D eh, had some moments in there that were kind of cool, but overall it was kind of a dumpster fire. And then the last one was a weird <laughs> one because I remember the last one not being Leatherface or whatever. Yeah, Leatherface. Yeah, the, the prequel story. I remember that one not being terrible, but also not being memorable. Like I remember almost nothing about it. <laughs> the only thing so. I remember about Leatherface is the bait and switch being so stupid. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I will admit with that. I, yeah. I, I will agree with that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mike, what do you say we wrap a bow on this one? Unless we have more complaining to do. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I pretty much got everything out what I was wanted to say in general thoughts. I mean, yeah, it's just, I mean, Sally is what a waste yeah. and no. uh, her actions. I, Leatherface was actually never referred to as Leatherface in the original, was he? No, that not I, at all. That I can remember. That's so when he earned the name after the events of the first one. That's when people started calling him Leatherface. Yeah. Now, why Sally refers to him in this? I yeah, that's what I mean. No that idea. was a painful. Yeah. That was almost cringy. Like, why would you call him Leatherface? That's so weird. Yeah. And, and why does it... no one know that his name is Thomas Hewitt? Like, we all know his name is Thomas Hewitt. Why did they not know in the movie? Well, that's another problem I have with requels where they say, okay, we're going to retcon everything, but we're also going to use the fact that there's a legacy of the franchise because it's like, okay, if you're, if you're eliminating everything but the original, why would she ever refer to him as Leatherface? It just makes no yeah, exactly. sense. Um, I mean, she could have followed the story. She could have followed the new story for years afterwards and heard what the media was calling him. All, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying or poo-pooing the use of the word so much as it coming from that character. The, the, the way that she says it, like basically the way she delivers every line in this movie is just kind of painful. Um, yeah, uh, ultimately, Sally did not need to be in this movie. I, I understand why they brought her back. You know, you, it's always good to have a legacy character in a movie, but... Uh, this was a misstep, a major, major misstep, a disrespectful mid-ste- misstep. So I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. It it just feels like they brought her back with no real, like they didn't even have a reason. They were just like, well, Halloween did it, and people seem to like it. So how can we get her, how can we get her in here? Because people will be like, oh look, uh, an OG character coming back. What are we going to do with her? Uh, I don't know. And <laughs> the best we got was. What we got it was just like yeah. huh, why uninspired her biggest purpose was giving a main character a gun that was pretty much it <laughs> yeah and I mean, somehow I... not being dead after that yeah <laughs> <laughs> and somehow being impossibly alive after being fucking skewered by a chainsaw but, yeah i okay. will say i i you know between <laughs> sally's appearance in this and dewey's dumbass going back to check on the screen guy i almost <laughs> feel like i owe dewey an apology because as dumb as his move was 
I I have to look at Sally not just blasting Leatherface when she had the chance, free and clear. He wasn't even trying to trick her. He was just literally a sit. Like I'm like, wow, maybe Dewey's actions weren't as bad. And I'm like, no, his actions were stupid too, but hers were like even worse. It seems like. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, uh, I, I said my piece at the beginning and I made my analogy, so I'm good. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I think we have uh, massacred this review enough. <laughs> so let's find out what we got for people to listen to other than Fresh Cuts. So, Venom, I'll start with you. Um, let's see. The main episode, episode 42 of the main show, No More Room in Hell, did have to be postponed this weekend. Uh, we had a little bit of a scheduling conflict, so we're we're hoping... Uh, this weekend to do double duty, we'll be recording uh, episode 42 of the main show where we cover some under-discussed modern vampire movies, including um, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night and Thirst, um, along with all our standard segments, the burning questions and what we've been watching, blah, blah, blah. And then on Sunday, if everything goes according to plan, we'll be recording episode six of No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts, where we will be looking at the Empire of the Ants. And yes, I know that this is only our sixth episode and we're already on our second giant ant movie. But guess what, folks? I like giant ants. That's really all I have to say. (laughs) So uh, after that's uh, after the both of those are recorded and put out, we'll obviously make an announcement here on um, next week's fresh cuts. But and actually, that's all I have planned. Oh, wait, I did do a guest spot this week. That's right. I did a guest spot with uh, Gary Hill and Iris on Cinema Beef this week where we looked at um, two really good movies in their own right, really good for different reasons. Um, but both kind of dealing with the same um, kind of basic storyline of uh, two inmates, one black, one white, being chained together and them trying to work together to make an escape. Of course, that perfectly describes 1956's, or, or excuse me, 1958's um, The Defiant Ones, which of course is one of the films. But then we also paired that with 1973's Black Mama, White Mama. Which, uh, of course, stars Miss Pam Greer um, as in her all naked glory. Um, the movie basically starts out as a women in prison movie, but then just kind of evolves into something different after that. So that's the latest episode of Cinema Beef. I'm not sure if that episode is currently available. I would it imagine if it's... I promoted oh. it already. Oh, good. Thank you, Don. So, yes, that that episode is available. So check that out. Um, that's the only guest spot I have. And then that's it for any of my main shows. All right, uh, Don. what about you? Okay, so um, as Venna mentioned, we are preparing Creature Comforts number six. Um, I was actually kind of impressed that you forgot to mention that uh, we've been going chronologically with our releases. Um, with um, Yeah, all of our films have uh, secretly been uh, in the next decade, so we started in the 30s and we're working up to the 70s mm-hmm. um, for episode six, so um, that's kind of been our little secret there that... Uh, I think it was uh, safe to mention now because nobody's caught on yet. So, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, kind of the impetus for uh, Empire of the Ants. But um, other than that, uh, for me personally, uh, latest episode of the Horror Countdown, my uh, own show, I take a look at um, our favorite vampire portrayals. So not vampire films, not, uh, you know, anything in particular, but our favorite vampire portrayals. So. Uh, 
go ahead and check that one out. It's uh, available on most podcatching services out there. As for guest appearances, nothing's been recorded. Uh, I should say one has been recorded now, which is uh, my guest spot on the Dark Parade with Bo. Uh, we looked at the vampire doll, which was a uh, ton of fun. Uh, the other two that um, I've confirmed but haven't uh, recorded yet, I will be with uh, the Horror Returns for their March Madness series looking at the best grindhouse exploitation films of all time. Uh, we finally have our lists and uh, we're getting ready to uh, start that up. So it uh, should be sometime in March because, you know, obviously it's a March Madness show. So uh, nothing's been recorded yet, but uh, definitely should be out in the coming weeks. Um, and I also have a guest spot on a show called The House That Screams, which uh, we will be looking at uh, Suspiria, the uh, Dario Argento version. Hate that I have to keep saying that, but um, just in case any, just in case anybody out there is confused, um, we're going to be looking at that one. I, I believe we had to push that one back because we were supposed to record it this upcoming weekend, but um, there's been some delays, some uh, something with uh, on their side, so I, I, I don't know for sure because I'm joining them, but uh, the episode's been pushed back a little, so I don't know for sure when we're going to get that, but uh, definitely be on the lookout for that. It uh, should be out uh, sooner rather than later. But again, I don't know because we had to uh, postpone recording because otherwise, I, like I said, um, we, we should have record. We should be we should have been recording it the week you're hearing this. So it's been pushed back. So I don't know when that's coming out now. But um, other than that, that's all I got. Well, you had to reiterate that it's the Argento one to make sure people know you're actually talking about the good one. Yeah. Was there a remake? <laughs> I, 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 didn't, I didn't even notice. Yeah. Uh, apparently. Um, <laughs> yeah, so as far as I go, it's pretty much just been fresh cuts. I, we're we're going to be recording uh, Burning for Springwood coming up, or a new episode of it, I mean. Finally wrapping up the first season of Freddy's Nightmares. And I, I also did an episode of Dark Parade with Bo, where we talked about The Gate. Um. Now, I'm not sure, because I know he's constantly recording them with different people. I'm not sure what order they're coming out, because Don just recorded one, too. And uh, so once uh, once it's either up or he lets me know when it's going to go up, I'll bring it back up on the show again. Um, and then coming up, No More Room in Hell, the main show should be recording. Sounds like, I think, coming up this weekend. So... Yeah, I, I think that's pretty much for all I got coming up. And as far as this show goes, Fresh Cuts next week, we have a choice. I mean, I would say we'll, I mean, we'll make a final decision probably, you know, later by the end of this week. But uh, Studio 666 is like the new movie in the theater coming out this week. So I'm assuming we're either going to do that or we'll do the one that we that just came out this past week. Um, what's it called cursed or the cursed? The cursed. Like the cursed. Yeah. It's the. It was. Um. I. I it was actually under uh, various festivals last year as eight for silver, I believe. So I think they changed it for the release. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because um, like I said, I, 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 if it's the one I'm thinking of, it played in festivals under a different title, so 
Yeah, just so that way everybody's uh, on the same page. Again, I could be wrong, but I believe if if it's the same one I'm thinking of, I think it is that. Like a period piece? I think that's what. Yeah. Um, I, 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 like I said, I, I, I could be mixing the films up, but if it's the one I'm thinking of, yeah, it was um, called Eight for Silver on the festival circuit. Okay, yeah. So it's, it's very likely going to be one of those two because they both – well, obviously one is going to be there because it's de- or premiering, and the other one I assume will still be in there um, at the theaters. I mean, so uh, very likely one of those two will be our next episode. Maybe, you know, if the one we don't do is still at the theater the following week, maybe we'll do that. Uh, but um, yeah, we'll figure it out. But uh, otherwise, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Fresh Cuts, and we will catch you next time. Let's say bye, listeners. Later. Adios. <laughs> Later. Peace. Shouldn't he be called Fleshy Face? <laughs>